If you enjoy listening to this podcast, we ask you to consider supporting it by making a reoccurring or one-time donation. Visit Mayflower's website at www.mayflowerucc.org and click on the Donate Now button. Donations made to Mayflower's Radio Fund are tax-deductible and go toward keeping this podcast available. Thank you for your support. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City by the Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at one of America's premier liberal Protestant pulpits. At Mayflower, we are an open and affirming peace and justice church where we believe that religion should be biblically responsible, intellectually honest, emotionally satisfying, and socially significant. We go now to the pulpit of Mayflower UCC Church of Oklahoma City and to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie. Our scripture lesson today comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 and 10 to 18. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be saints, together with all of those who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you should be in agreement and that there should be no divisions among you, but that you should be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by close people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel, and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Here ends the reading of our tradition. May God grant to us wisdom and courage for interpretation. The mail came, y'all. And we got a letter. It's from Brother Paul. Everybody get in here. We got a letter. We got to read it. You give it to me. No, you read it last time. Fine. You read it. But remember to enunciate. Surely the church in Corinth was glad to hear from Paul. It had been a while. Letters were hard to come by, not only because they had such a distance to travel, but because Paul had 
other churches to attend to, the one in Rome and Thessalonica, another in Galatia, and still another in Ephesus, just all over the place. But even for those who maybe weren't super excited to hear from the pastor, I imagine that they still got sucked right into the excitement. For this letter starts out so beautifully. I mean, Paul really butters them up. It is just dripping with sweetness in those first few lines. I thank my God always for you because of the grace of God that has been given to you in Christ Jesus. For in every way you have been enriched in him in speech and knowledge of every kind. I mean, by now the congregation is sitting up a little straighter in the pew. They put their phones down. No one's drawing on the bulletin. They are leaning all the way into this pep talk from their traveling pastor. And Paul goes on. You are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, preacher, stop it. You're making us blush, but do go on. It becomes apparent pretty quickly that Paul is in fact employing full-on senior minister strategery with that opening. For after he softens them up, he drops the hammer. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you should be in agreement and that there should be no divisions among you, but that you should be united and in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. Chloe's people. Tattletales. Busybodies, gossips, Chloe's people. They should be minding their own business instead of minding ours. That is the last time we will do a joint vacation Bible school with them. <laughs> if I said I'm interested in knowing what the Corinthians were quarreling about, that would be an absolute lie. I do not want to know. Because if it's the worship wars or who gets to pick the color of the carpet, hard pass. And if it were to turn out that 2,000 years ago church people were already arguing about whether or not the music director was choosing enough familiar hymns to sing, like I have no facial control left for that. <laughs> Mercifully, Paul doesn't really get into detail about what the problem is, although from verse 12 on, it's pretty clear that the church people in Corinth were caught up in rivalries that made them feel powerful, made them feel in charge. What I mean, Paul continues, is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, even I belong to Christ. And there it is church people have started forming teams. Team Apollo, Team Paul, Team Cephas, Team Christ. Although Team Christ seems like it should be okay. <laughs> Except that those are really the kind of people who make pronouncements about what real Christians believe. 
But Paul reminds them that this is not the way of the faithful, it's the way of empire. Teams are how we get the haves and the have-nots, sides of them versus us or the in and out crowd. And none of that will lead to salvation, Paul reminds them. God, God chose something else for that. God chose the cross for that work. The cross, the Roman Empire's instrument of death, a public service announcement, a billboard of sorts that sent a clear message to those considering civil disobedience. If you disobey us, this is where we'll put you. Which is why Paul rightfully says that the cross is foolishness to some. In Paul's day, everyone knew that the cross was a terrifying weapon used to control those without power. People die on crosses. People like Jesus, for whom it was a form of execution, used for a specific class of offenders, those who systematically defied Roman authority, whether chronically rebellious enslaved people or leaders of resistance movements and their followers. This is why some of the disciples hid in that locked room after Jesus' crucifixion. It was reasonable for them to be afraid. The cross was a symbol of the power of the empire to strip you of every ounce of dignity you thought you had and then leave your body up to be picked apart by wild animals. This sounds strange to us today in this era where Hobby Lobby has gussied up the old rugged cross with a bedazzler. And the rhinestones obscure the cross to the point of turning it into a trinket. It is almost unrecognizable as an instrument of state-sponsored murder. Which is kind of okay with us liberal Christians. I mean, we're not really sure what to do with the cross. For some time now, the loudest voice has been evangelical fundamentalists proclaiming the cross as a sign of personal, individual salvation. And we, we are very quick to say, we don't need saving. And we're right. We're right. We don't need saving from an afterlife spent in the fires of hell. We need saving from things that are much more real. Greed, ego, disengagement, fear. We need saving from the very real hells of despair and depression, isolation, and hopelessness. And the world needs saving from the hells of hunger, poverty, and war. This is what Paul is trying to explain to the Corinthians. We know that he wasn't particularly concerned about their personal salvation, not only because Paul was Jewish, but also because the doctrine of Jesus died for your sins to give you everlasting life, also known as substitutionary atonement, wasn't formulated until about a thousand years after Paul died. We know it too from scripture itself. When Jesus speaks three different times about his upcoming death in Jerusalem, those predictions are never about his dying for our sins, but always about the fact that the authorities would kill him for challenging the status quo. 
Over and over again, Paul, in his letters, emphasized Jesus' crucifixion. He speaks of Christ crucified and faithfulness unto death, even death on a cross, because of what such, what such a death meant. To emphasize in the world of the first century that Jesus was crucified signaled at once that this gospel was an anti-imperial gospel. Jesus was crucified because he lived such a life that the authorities could not risk him inspiring more people. This is what we should think about when we see the cross. The cross is faithfulness unto death to thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Faithfulness unto death to everyone having their daily bread. Faithfulness unto death to asking for and offering forgiveness. Faithfulness unto death to walking humbly with God. And even though it makes no sense on paper, even though it defies reason and logic and Sam Harris and Joel Osteen, the cross is the power of God made manifest in that the empire, using all its might, couldn't kill an itinerant preacher and community organizer and the people who followed him. That's a heck of a story. Yet here we are, fundamentalists, using the cross as home decor while feeling persecuted because the court won't mandate in-school prayer, and liberals ignoring the cross altogether, thinking that hearing a progressive sermon on Sunday morning is really living that radical Christian life. <laughs> Ain't nobody getting crucified over that. For as the artist Banksy said, you are an acceptable level of threat, and if you were not, then you would know about it. This is what Paul was saying to the church people in Corinth. Instead of fighting over whose team you're on, remember who you follow and get after it. Just as the early church needed reminding, so do we. So let us see the cross and be reminded that the empire is still killing people, quite literally through the death penalty, but also by making people sick in a thousand different ways. Lack of clean drinking water, family separation, fines and fees that created debtor's prison, leaking pipelines, unchecked capitalism, and a war machine in overdrive. Let us see the cross and be reminded that our loyalty has already been declared. So all this fussing and fighting of I belong to Elizabeth. I belong to Pete. I belong to Bernie. I belong to Joe. All that is a distraction. For we know and say around here that the title of Messiah has already been taken. And that guy didn't bail when the poll numbers went down. Let us look at the cross and be reminded that we have a different way of being and living in the world. 
The cross is our reminder that we have been called to end violence, wealth disparity, and the practices that impoverish people. We have an alternative to the status quo. We have an alternative to peace through violence. We have an alternative to understanding power as simply being in charge. Let us look to the cross and be reminded that we should have protesters outside this building every single Sunday calling for this place to be shut down because the people in here refuse to be complicit and accommodate and they are planning a revolution, organizing change and raising their children to do the same. It should be said of us, as Paul urged, that they are all in agreement and there are no divisions among them united in the same mind and the same purpose of proclaiming release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, of letting the oppressed go free and filling the hungry with good things. And that we too won't bail when the poll numbers go down. Beloved community, we are already in the thick of division and side picking. We think of this as an election year, but it is always an election year. We are always deciding who to follow. We are tempted to focus on team colors, but we know better. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. This is, in fact, how we work out our salvation. For when the gospel is socially redemptive, it is also personally salvific. We are saved from our ego, nativism, and fear, leaving us to be generous, hopeful, and brave. This is why we don't end the service with an altar call, of course. Nobody is going to ask anyone to come forward and announce that they have decided to follow Jesus. We do a reverse altar call. To follow Jesus means to leave this place and go into the fellowship hall and conspire with other heretics about what to do next, about climate change, immigration, racism, and criminal justice reform. To follow Jesus means to walk out of the church building, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, care for the sick, and tend to those who are in prison. So do not call the church office to ask permission to start working for Jesus. Do not call the pastor to see if it's all right to respond to hurt and misunderstanding, oppression, and evil. We already have our assignment. We just need to get to it. So at the risk of sounding rude, I'll let you see yourselves out. You've been listening to the preaching and teaching of Reverend Lori Walkie, Associate Minister at Mayflower Congregational UCC Church of Oklahoma City. More information about the church can be found at mayflowerucc.org or by visiting Mayflower's Facebook page. Worship services are every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. with adult education classes at 10 a.m. 
Mayflower also has a full church school for children of all ages available during the 11 a.m. service. Mayflower is located on Northwest 63rd Street, one block west of Portland. Thank you for listening.